0: And under the lights at LP Field, it's the Franklin American Mortgage Music City Bowl, the 13th edition from Nashville, Tennessee. It's North Carolina against Tennessee. I'm Mark Jones along with Bob Davey. Kara Capuano down on the field joining us in just a few moments. Bob, you look at these two teams on the field. They've overcome so much in so many different ways. Well, Mark, as a coach, you always worry about motivation in a bowl game. You know, which team feels they have the most to prove, Which team really wants to be here because of all the things these two teams have been through this season. I expect a very motivating, well-played game, a very close game. These two teams are very similar on the field as well.
1: Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com,
2: the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear.
3: What is up? What is up? What is up? Good evening or morning or afternoon or whatever time you're listening to us or watching us here on Inside Carolina. I'm Joey Powell. Welcome back. It's another new season of The Throwback. Season two, episode one. And y'all, let me tell you, not only am I glad to have this platform again to be able to go through these old games and big moments in UNC athletic history, but I'm really pumped to be talking about the game we're talking about today with the guys that I'm talking with. And as you see them here on your screen, as always, the most beautiful, uh, bombastic, uh, just intelligence beyond sports writer on the inside Carolina roster. Greg Barnes is here. Greg, how you feeling?
2: I'm feeling great. Looking forward to uh, reminiscing here.
3: Yeah, man, it'll be a fun one. And dragged away from the pits of fatherhood. Uh, as he joins us looking refreshed because his kid is sleeping, life is starting to get into a new normal for the man. Uh, number 66 in your program, number one in
4: your heart, Mike Angersault. Counselor, how are you? Uh, I'm, I'm doing good, Your Honor. When you said beautiful and bombastic, <laughs> I thought I was it. coming to you. Yeah, I know. Well, I knew I knew you weren't coming to me. That's-
3: <laughs> well, look, I try to gas you guys, guys up as best I can so that we can have a good podcast for the people because that's what we're here for. We're here for all all the folks out there in Iceland who are who are digging us tonight. And uh, guys, you know why I brought you here. I'm going to set this up, but before I can set it up, I want to talk a little bit about nostalgia because that's what this throwback is all about. And you know what? You can actually buy nostalgia. You know where you can buy nostalgia johnny t-shirt johnny t-shirt.com you know how you know how i can say they buy you can buy nostalgia from johnny t-shirt because they have things that are throwbacks they have things that are from now they have things uh like shirts and hats and gadgets and what have you with the unc logo and moniker on it that will take you back to your time in chapel hill or if you're a fan the time that you went to your first game or wherever you first came in contact with the UNC brand, Johnny t shirts got it. They've got all of the top brands possible, johnnytshirt.com or right there on Franklin Street in Chapel Hill. Great folks. They've been supporters of ours for a long time. We want to make sure we show them some love the way they have shown love to Inside Carolina and the IC family and all of the great content that we put out. And hoping to continue that, stri- that string Strand, trend, all of those words that I just amalgamated. Uh, we want to make sure that we're continuing that with good content tonight. Tonight, we're going to talk about the 2010 Music City Bowl.
4: You know what gives me nostalgia, Joey? What's that? All of Greg's dark hair reminds me of when I had some. And You know how, <laughs> I, know, you know how I know it's legitimate? How I know it's real? Look at his scruff on his face. It's just as dark as the hair on top of his head. Just like you know how everybody can know that their hair on top of my head is really gray? Look at the translucent
2: scruff on my
4: uh, <laughs> translucent down here on my on my jawline and my chin. I'll see you
2: with the SAT words Joey, over there. Joey, people watching this may make the very poor mistake uh, that for some reason I am close to Mike's age. When in fact, I am at least a decade older than him. So, Minimum. how about that for genetics?
4: Man. Yeah genetics and untreated concussions yeah.
2: <laughs> there we go there
3: we go all, all of which are valid and real and yeah I, I do think greg's got a little bit with the scruff he's got almost a, a charles bronson thing going on if he could, if he could pull off the stash I, I, I could see it
4: i made a mistake at work today and i told him just blame the cte because my brain basically looks like an ant farm <laughs> just tunnels and holes all over the place
3: <laughs> just well at least they left the good parts right and, and yeah, I'm, gonna, yeah. I'm gonna bleed that good part dry tonight uh, 2010 music city bowl, Nashville. Uh, it was the last day of the year. Uh, what, what's that? 1231, 2010. If you're keeping score by the, um, by the old, uh, ecumenian calendar or whatever. UNC comes into the game five. Um, UT comes into the game six and six. Both teams, you know, North Carolina kind of backdoored their way into this game. Mm -hmm. Uh, It had a great season. A lot of, you know, and we've talked about it extensively on Inside Carolina. Mike did a great write-up about it. Um, Greg has covered it extensively. But we talked about that 2010 season and how up and down and just how loaded the team was. But dealing with the NCAA stuff and then the injury bug, which was so rampant in the locker room that year, UNC kind of swooned late into the season. They dropped a, a game to NC State. Uh, dropped a game to Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech was ranked uh, eked by Duke, I think, by five or so. But UNC still had a, a kind of the it factor and was a very attractive team to have in this game. And I got to think that's why the uh, – the, I think it was Franklin American Mortgage people wanted them at that time. UT, different side – kind of kind of a different situation. They struggled early, had some quarterback issues, put Tyler Bray in and I guess, October, and then won their last four games to get into a bowl. Uh not necessarily the best season by Tennessee fans terms, but definitely a good season considering they were on their third coach in three years, which got mentioned ad nauseum during this game. Uh, but then also, you know, with a freshman quarterback. Uh, and in 10 years ago, a freshman quarterback was still a little bit of a novelty. So Tennessee kind of gets in this game. They're definitely a big draw, as you will see on this game. Uh, it ends up being a probably, if I'm being generous, 85-15 orange versus uh, light blue in the stands uh i I mean i i remember being at that game i don't know if you guys can remember because you guys were on the field but if i heard rocky top one time that night it it was it was reminiscent of something that would have been in a uh a torture chamber in uh, some sort of u.s prison camp because it was everywhere whether they scored or not they played
4: the song mike did you hear that on the field uh no all 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 that I I will say that I was more concerned on the sideline with the warm air that was running through the, through the bench, because at that point, uh, my public schooling that I grew up with never afforded me the opportunity to experience something as luxurious as warm air running through an NFL (laughs) sideline bench. And I was pretty uh, mesmerized by that whole experience, to be honest with you. So no, I didn't hear the Rocky top, but um, it was pretty, it, it was obvious when you looked in the stands who the home team was in that game. It was you know, if there were 60,000 people there, 55,000 of them were wearing orange. Sure. Uh, there, was, there was no question at all that that was a road game for us. And, and we felt that. We felt that pressure in the stadium too. Yeah. To and Joey, point, we, go
2: ahead. That was the year that, that we first started traveling for our pregame radio show, I see. Mm. Um, and the funny thing about it, I guess, kind of sad if you want to think about it, is everybody had built up towards that LSU game. And so we, we had uh, rented out a parking lot uh, outside of the, the Georgia Dome. And, you know, it, it fit with what was going on with UNC football because, you know, th- we had issues with the, uh, the beer kegs, like the audio <laughs> wasn't working with the, uh, the broadcasting equipment. It was just a mess, but it was our first time and we got through it and we always kind of laugh about that. Well, WCHL had set us up inside a bar uh, there in Nashville. And for those who have not been there, it's a great setup because you have the downtown strip, right? Broadway. Yep. It's it's excellent. And you go there and you party all day. And then all you have to do is walk across the bridge, across the river to get to the stadium. Mm -hmm. So it's fantastic. But to your point, as as we're walking in and I'm trying to find this bar because we're set up in the very back of this bar (laughs) broadcasting, it is nothing but Tennessee fans. Um, and fortunately, we had been able to get the word out that, hey, we're broadcasting from this particular bar. So there was enough Carolina people in there. But just walking up and down the street, it was all orange. That's all you saw. And so we knew at that point in time, early in the afternoon, they were already rowdy. Uh, but it was going to be a predominantly Tennessee fan base, uh, Tennessee crowd. Uh, and, and as it turns out, it, it, that, that proved uh, problematic as the game wore on.
4: We had a, we had a feeling we were going to have an issue in terms of fan presence and, and ultimate, uh, vibe and buzz in the stadium during the week when we were out partying during the week. And every single person we ran into was a Tennessee fan, either coming in from out of town or from Nashville or somewhere proximate to Nashville in Tennessee. Every single person had orange on or a Tennessee hat, or, you know, it was, you, you could, you could tell. And we, we the message was sent fairly quickly in the week for us that it was going to be a tough environment and it wasn't going to be a typical neutral site bowl game. Two things I want to, I
3: want to throw out first off, Mike to, to talk about your attendance number. Um, you said 55K. It was a 69,000 mm-hmm. uh, attendance number, which was just a nice number to, to have at a football game. And, nice. Yeah. And to to your point, 55,000 may have been light because it, yeah. it was jam-packed, uh, especially when you see the overhead aerial view of the stadium. Uh, Greg, I, I'm not sure where the press box was, but I love the fact that when you were talking about uh, the radio show and difficulties that you guys had with the opener in Atlanta, the first thing you mentioned was not audio or technical difficulties was that you had problems with the beer kegs so shout out to you for keeping it real in that response yeah um guys you know as both of you laid out this was absolutely I don't care what the program said or what the bowl site said it was absolutely a home game for Tennessee Mike could you feel that once you got to the stadium you talked about all the prep and you're know, seeing all the the drunk orange that week and people trying to you know Harsher mellow while you're out, you know, partying with your buddies that week. But could you tell it once you got to the stadium, or did you have to wait until kickoff before you you felt that okay, this is totally a Tennessee home game?
4: Uh, Most of the fans we saw during pregame were wearing orange, and usually, fan presence before a game will tell you whether it's going to be a pack game, uh, whether fans are going to be rowdy, and really who all is going to be there, where they're going to be sitting. And most of the fans when we were coming in for pregame, we're lined up behind us where we were warming up and they were starting to fill in around the 50 and get to their seats. You know, those that weren't just out tailgating super hard. So, you know, when we saw all those fans starting to trickle in and the vast majority of them were wearing orange, we knew it was going to be a a tough environment. Now, I didn't realize the full extent of that until kickoff. And we looked around and we realized that all UNC had was one little pocket of tickets, which not, and that's not to disparage our fans or, or anything like that. It's just the games in Nashville, it's against Tennessee, they're going to buy up all the tickets. It's just how it works. I mean, that fan base is rabid. So, you know, we, 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 we thought in prep during the week that it was going to be a Tennessee-heavy crowd, but we didn't realize uh, the monopoly they had exerted over those tickets leading up to that football game. Sure.
3: Greg, when you uh, when you're kind of leading up to this game, did it feel like a pretty big matchup? Because, again, you're talking about Tennessee, which is an SEC opponent, a uh, big-time brand still – in the you know if nothing else all over that state against a geographic rival in North Carolina those two teams really don't see each other I think there had been a series bought out at some point right around that time between those two schools I think it was Tennessee because they were dealing with some coaching issues with Lane Kiffin to Derek Dooley and so on and so forth did you feel like from uh, I guess from covering the game standpoint did it feel like a big game to you outside of just being a bowl game
2: For sure. And this is back when the Music City Bowl was was a bigger deal than maybe it is now. It was higher up on the bowl hierarchy. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think the fact that they were able to get Tennessee uh, in the home state and get Butch Davis in North Carolina, which had received all of the attention in 2010, um, it was kind of a no brainer. And so North Carolina got a little bit of a bump because of that. And because everybody knew, that I mean, it was a good team, even though they'd been through so much adversity. And so for sure, that was, that was a very big um, scene for North Carolina to be able to finish the season. So we knew that going in. Uh, we also thought that, hey, uh, it's, it's a big matchup. Um, it's, it's a big bowl game to play in. Given everything this team has, has gone through this year, this is a legitimate opportunity to close the season on a, on a high note. Um, we just never envisioned that it would actually end the way that it did. <laughs> I'll time. tell you what, what was, we'll get there. I'll
4: tell you. I'll tell you what was funny. What really hyped that game up for us internally was in during off-season workouts. You were talking about this, uh, Joey. You were, you mentioned how the series that got bought out. Um, it's a border rivalry, and it's in Tennessee. I, I should preface everything I say with this: Tennessee North Carolina football is a game that should be played much 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 more frequently than it really sure. is and i think historically it was and then the series just kind of died off but it is a natural border rivalry um and, and i think the fan base is you know, would treat it that way and it's a game i'd like to see more i'd like to see more unc south carolina and more unc tennessee just as a regional type thing if we'd ever be able to get it but during off-season workouts that's when that that's when the game we were supposed to have got bought out mm. Uh, and I can't remember who we, I think maybe we replaced them with Rutgers or someone, I can't remember who we replaced them with, but, but uh, Dooley canceled the home and home series, or I should say Tennessee's AD, Dooley just co-signed it, uh, Tennessee's AD canceled the home and home series and one of the reasons that we heard from Tennessee's camp was that they were in a rebuilding phase and you know, they were trying to make sure they had, you know, the best schedule possible to realize early least success for all the young players and the rebuilt roster and blah, blah, blah. And what that amounted to was that they didn't think they were of the caliber that UNC, you know, that, that Carolina football was at that time. And that was something that I believe came from Butch. You know, that, that wasn't a, that wasn't a PR statement that was released, but that was a conversation that happened internally between the staffs. You know, why we're doing this, it was explained to us that, look, man, we're just from Tennessee's camp. Like we're just not, we're not in a position to be able to compete with that roster because the NCAA stuff hadn't hit yet. Not at least not in its, not in its full glory. Uh, So yeah, I mean, it was, it was a fair assessment, frankly. Um, You know, that team we had, we've talked about a million times for the last decade, how stacked it was, but you know, it was funny to us because in the off season, you know, they canceled that game and we laughed about that during off season (laughs) workouts. And we were clowning Tennessee during off season workouts. I remember the day that it happened and we got told the the game was going to be canceled for the home and home series. And then we ended up, drawing them in the bowl game and it just for us internally that was like this is this is hilarious to us because you can't get away from us you've tried to get away from us and now here it is so we were a little determined to show them and you know and prove them right this is why you canceled this game this is why you canceled that home and home we're going to show you why Um, so there was some added motivation there for us even though we were playing with you know essentially a depleted roster
2: Yeah, Joey, and to to kind of back up what Mike's saying there, uh, the release came out on August 17th. So that that was before uh, the famous Holden Thorpe press conference with all the academic stuff. Uh, But Mike Hamilton, who was Tennessee's athletic director, actually gave this quote to Joe Shad at ESPN. The reality is we're not back to where we want to be yet. And then said, quote, "Uh, effort is to lighten the load regarding the schedule.
3: Yep. that's got to sting a little bit if you're uh, if you're a Rocky Top fan. So, Greg, I, Mike did a great job of kind of setting the kismet that came between this you know game getting canceled and still appearing at the end of the schedule. Going into this game, you know, you had a lot of different things going on. I, I think you had some players who were injured. Uh, you had some players who had some off-season things. They tried to get cleaned up and just couldn't get back in time of the game. You probably have some guys that sat out due to uh, pro aspirations. Greg, do you remember? as the 15 practices or whatever so happened, do you remember when you felt like, okay, this is really going to be a depleted team? Cause if we're being honest here, there was a lot of names that played that season, whether healthy or not, that were not available for this game.
2: Yeah. I guess really it was kind of the Anthony Elsie news. Um, I think that was really what, what kind of stood out as, all right, this is going to be somewhat of a, somewhat of an issue. Um, but you know, It was an interesting year, and Kevin Reddick said this the next year, and and I agreed with it from the time that that the season transpired. I really thought this is one of the most impressive years that I've I've covered. Um, I'm I'm 15 years in now covering UNC football, and this one still stands out. Uh, Not only with the coaching staff, with what they did, but the players had so much crap to deal with all season long, and it seemed like it was just hit after hit after hit. Um, and yet they, they persevered and they were solid throughout and they, they never made excuses, uh, and they kept battling. And so even though there was you know, some players out and there was some things that didn't go their way, um, I don't know if I was immune to it at that point in time. It was something we were aware of, but we just felt like, you know, these guys have been through this. This is not going to shock their system. Right. Uh, they're just going to go out and, and bust their tail. And, um, Oh, there was some some bad news, it wasn't anything earth-shattering, at least to me and to other members in the media.
4: Well, Greg, I'll tell you, I appreciate – sorry, Joe, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I'll, I'll tell you that I appreciate you saying that. Um, that's a point that I've made to a lot of people, and I think I made it at the time, you know, in my personal life, just, you know, family and friends. There was a lot of national championship aspirations going into that season, and we, we and I and my teammates and all of us talked about it a lot in that you know that that um, that in memoriam 2010 piece that you know we published over over the summer. Um, there was, or, or I guess in the early fall, there was a uh, there was a lot of talk about national championships, and there was a lot of talk about conference championships and Orange Bowls, and a lot of expectations. And I will say that for me personally, one of the things that I took out of that season was that I may have been more proud of that team. Very similar to what Kevin told you. I may have been more proud of that Music City Bowl team winning eight games, which to me seemed more impressive given all the circumstances and given all the loss and all the depletion and all the distractions than if we'd been playing at full strength and just met expectations and played for or won a national championship or an Orange Bowl. I, I, there's just something about that season that I thought my teammates deserved a lot of credit. And a lot of people recognize that some folks, you know, that's a gloss on the season that you don't necessarily appreciate. Uh, If you don't, if you haven't paid attention to it at at a granular, granular level, the way that you did or the way that, you know, my teammates who lived it did, but there was something different and special about that season. And I think that the eight wins beating Tennessee and sec opponent in what is a rivalry game with all of the backdrop of canceling the game and all, and all that irony that came with it, that, um, you know, being an SEC team and essentially, you know, in their home state at what is essentially an SEC home game, you know, and winning eight games after all the distractions, after all that loss, and, and after all the things that we had to deal with that season, I was, I, I, I say I'm probably more proud of that team than I would have been if we won a national title. I'll never know if we won a national title how I would have felt, but I can say that there was, there, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of kudos that, that should go around to my teammates and that, especially that coaching staff for getting that team through that season and finishing it out on a high note. A bull win, which we weren't able to pull off the two years prior at full strength either, I should say. Right.
2: And I've mentioned this a couple of times on on our podcasts, uh, but not in this particular setting. But when Tommy Thigpen came back to to UNC with Larry Mm -hmm. Fittigoro a couple of years ago, um, I sat and had a long conversation with him and he was adamant uh, that that 2010 North Carolina team uh, had the potential in the coaching staff to win the national championship. He thought that was mm. the most talented roster in the country, and that's relevant because Tommy Thickpin was at Auburn at the time, which won the national championship that year. And as you Tommy had a guy
3: named Cam Newton. That's yeah.
2: right. As Tommy said, the only difference between uh, Auburn and and maybe North Carolina before some of the NCAA mess is that Auburn had Cam Newton, and he was the game changer. So.
3: So let's uh let's get into the game itself a little bit because I think you guys have nailed kind of what it felt like coming into it and, and a little bit of the offseason prep and kind of the the hullabaloo around the actual you know, game and the pageantry. This game started out very much like North Carolina was gonna walk the dog on Tennessee with some smash mouth, just run it downhill, which is you know was kind of the the hallmark of of Butch's teams. They were never gonna be really flashy, but the defense was gonna win the game for him the offense was going to do you know a lot of ball control just beat you at the point of attack type stuff and you know Sean Drone gets a and we're going to talk to him a little bit later but Sean Drone gets a 58 yard touchdown like five plays into the game four plays into the game for UNC on offense Mike Mm -hmm. did you guys feel like oh this is going to be
4: easy well we never thought it was going to be easy because we we watched plenty of film on them and I will give Tennessee a lot of credit here that was the best six and six team I'd seen on film in a long time and they just, they caught some tough breaks in some games earlier that year. And if you go back and you watch Tennessee's season, you know, we had a couple close games went our way. They had several close games that went the other way, but there was no doubt that that team was talented and there was no doubt that that team played ex- exceptionally hard on film. So we knew the opponent that we were going to be dealing with when we came into that game. It was surprising, frankly, that we broke one open so quick, uh, especially on the ground like that. I didn't think, you know, everything we'd seen from Tennessee on film was that, you know, they had an ability to stop the run. And we thought that their personnel up front matched up well with our personnel up front and that we were going to have to beat them through the air and really execute and be clean. So busting one open real quick and hitting them in the mouth like that early on in that game on that first drive, we really thought set the tone for the rest of the game. Now, what you saw later on was it ended up being a, you know, we traded blows back and forth. Tennessee really hunkered down and started taking care of business after that. Um, and, and I think we really just, we caught them on, on their heels. Um, I am not sure what happened for them. I don't know if it was a coverage breakdown uh, or a personnel breakdown or what, what have you, or, you know, maybe I'm not giving credit. We, we may have just perfectly executed that outside zone. Cause we, I mean, we broke it on, it was essentially, it was 19. It was just a simple outside zone. Um, we got the backside cut off. Uh, you watch Ed Barham on the film. Ed gets a great block on the front end. Sean makes a guy I missed. The field was a little slick at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the evening dew had just started setting in on the grass. Sean makes one guy miss and he's off to the races. And I will tell you that it, when when that happened, I thought it was going to be Sean's coming out party, which is exactly what it turned out to be. Yeah. And we were trying to do that for him because Sean had been such a workhorse for us that entire year. Uh, he dealt with some ankle injuries, and he but he had always been, when he was in the game, he was always reliable. He always played a million miles an hour. And we wanted to make sure that on senior night, you know, the seniors did for him. We wanted him to get that. But I think the entire team, the entire offense especially, wanted Sean to have that breakout game and to be that feature back and really shine. And we thought that was a, a, a an early indication that he would, and he didn't let us down.
3: Yeah, Christian Wilson had an amazing kickout block. Uh, yes, he did. Uh, after the handoff on that play too, which, um, you know, so Mike and I were talking, we're texting back and forth, Greg, and I'll I'll let him touch on this. I'm going to come back to you for something else. Mike, did the, did Tennessee twist as much as I feel like they did when I watched when I rewatched the game or is it just the the couple of plays that I saw were were a little more
4: Tennessee played more straight up during that game than than we thought they would when they when they did bring anything it was typically a twist now, now later in the game they started blitzing a little more frequently than than we thought yeah. they would based on what we saw the first two three quarters because they again they they stayed in their base front most of that game and just tried to beat us head up and one-on-one and when I think when they realized they weren't going to beat us one-on-one and this is indicative of all defensive lines and all defensive schemes when you're when your jimmies and joes can't beat the other jimmies and joes then you start scheming um and if your defensive line isn't beating the offensive line in in pass rushing in the run game then you start twisting them and we started seeing that because overall i thought the offensive line played pretty well um early on in that game and pretty consistently through halftime so in the second half we started seeing a little bit more of that but early on it was it was very vanilla what we saw from them and and it was surprising because on film they blitz like crazy i do remember that distinctively from that game.
3: Greg, uh, you know, Mike makes a, makes a great point, And we're talking about how it was kind of a heavyweight fight, uh, specifically in the first half. And then the third quarter went kind of meh. Do you remember much about that? Or, or what did you see when rewatching it uh, that struck you about the way both of these coordinators were calling the games?
2: Well, I think really what stood out to me just kind of from an overall perspective, you mentioned Sean's big run and you're thinking, okay, well now North Carolina's got the start they needed with this crowd. Uh, Things should be rolling. And after that, uh, as Mike said, Tennessee really locked down. And I think it was the next six drives uh, where Carolina had maybe 60 total yards and that's when things kind of swung. And then of course, North Carolina had that, uh, that, that late score in the first half that was uh, critically important. Um, But I mean, it was to me, you it was John Shoop doing John Shoop things and with the defense playing as well as it was. Um, I mean, Tennessee had no run game whatsoever. And uh, you, they knew that the only way to, to have success was for Tyler Bray to, to have some, some good looks. And he had a, enough of them to make it interesting. Uh, but I just really saw your North Carolina defense doing what it had done. The previous two years, And so Shoup was going to be a little bit conservative in in some of his play calls, which we had all kind of grown accustomed to. And that's what Butch Davis wanted. And that's how it played out primarily through the first half.
3: Yeah. The uh, Tennessee rushing stats were not pretty. 29 attempts for 27 yards. Tyler Bray had a decent game uh, throwing the ball, but, you know, he had to throw it 45 times to get his 312 yards. And he did throw three picks. Yep. Uh, Mike, what do you guys remember about seeing a guy and I, I know you were an offensive player, but, you know, you're hearing the you know, the game prep. What do you guys remember about a guy like Tyler Bray, who was, you know, is as young as he could be, even with the experience he had. But as Tar Heel fans would find out, kid had a little bit of, of a little bit of talk about him. And I think that actually propelled him until it didn't.
4: Yeah, that's exactly what our defensive guys were talking about. Because they could see that on film, they could see that you know, he was he was young and he made young player mistakes, but he was exceptionally raw and talented. I mean, the the ability was there, the ability to beat you with his arm was there. So the guys knew that he had he had some talent, and there was going to come a point where he was going to break open. They just didn't want it to be against them in the bowl game. Um, but you could also see him talking and John a little bit on film as young players do, and what we saw in that game is that it, it came back and it, it bit him because Tyler Bray, unfortunately, became a meme after that in the early days of memes.
3: <laughs> he was he was a baby meme. That's awesome.
4: Yeah. Uh, Greg, is there a specific
3: play, and I'm going to take the Sean Drone play off the table. Is there a specific play in that game that stands out to you? Because I think there's a lot that, as we touched on we started kind of the, the show tonight, uh, there's a lot of that game that really was kind of a direct reflection of the whole season wrapped up into a nice little package. Is there one play that you feel like stuck out at you from this game and you're like, man, if, if there's ever been a play for North Carolina football in 2010, this was it?
2: Gosh, uh, that, that's a tough question. I mean, the, the obvious one that we'll get to. Um, I mean, I, I thought Todd Harrelson's catch was was maybe the catch of the year. Guy had like three catch catches the whole seen. season and didn't get to yeah. that one, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, and that was – that was the dirty hit if there ever was one. Uh, And then of course, you know, the run and play that the drone had a little bit later is a late hit, which is a big play. But Harrelson's catch has always been the one that that has stood out to me. I know there's a number of them, uh, but just his ability to hang on to that pass in such a a critical time period. I mean, that that set the stage for what was to come. And so that stands out above the rest.
3: Mike, what are you looking for in a game like that where it's, you know, it's, it's obvious that it's a heavyweight fight. You know, It gets down to the point where in the fourth quarter, that's when the haymakers start coming. As you're playing through that, what are you looking for? What are the, what are the telltale signs where you feel like your team has a real chance to exploit the opponent for, for the kill shot? Is it, is it a guy cheating? Is it a guy
4: losing his, his mental discipline? Is it a guy getting tired? What is it? It was uh, for me in that game specifically – it was huge chunks. So we had a lot of big plays. And we won the explosive play battle. And when I talk about explosive plays, you know, this is a John Shoup thing. Yeah, you know, explosive plays are anything 20 yards or more, whether through the air or the ground. And we definitely won the explosive play component of that of that football game. And I think back to playing, I was actually just re-watching it on the on the all 22 while Greg was talking. Um, there was a there was a 40-yard touchdown. TJ rolls out to his left. I think it was third and one from the 39 yard line in the second quarter, we were down 14 to 10 Mm -hmm. TJ rolls out to his left. You know, we get decent protection up front. I think they only ended up bringing three. They dropped a fourth. Um, they tried, they tried some movement up front, but you know, left side did a really good job of, um, and I think it was James Hurst was over there with, with John Cooper. James did a really good job of watching defensive end down when he tried to come inside and they just gobbled up what was, what was supposed to be a design twist over there. Um, And TJ just sort of rolls out and leaks out to his left and then just drops one 40 yards right in the bucket to Eric Highsmith. Mm -hmm. And I, when I saw that coupled with Sean's early, early run, um, some of the big gains that we had both, you know, before that, that had led to that point, I was supremely confident that no matter what happened in that game, we were always going to have the opportunity to just break it open with a big play. So if we just chipped away and we got positive yards, even if it was one yard and we just, two yards, four yards, eight yards, two yards, one yard. We would eventually break one open because that had been the theme that entire game. Um, you know, the, the first drive, it just sort of happened two, three plays into the game. I don't want to say by accident, but you know, by accident. And we um, but we saw that theme continue to play out every drive after that, for the most part, with the exception of, you know, we had at one point where it was six, six drives, 60 yards, but everything else surrounding that little, you know, hiatus we were able to, to get big chunk plays. They might not have gone for touchdowns, but we were able to get 15, 20 yards a clip really whenever we wanted to. So I felt supremely confident early in that game that even if we were down, we would come back and we would be able to retake the lead if it did become a shootout, which is exactly what ended up happening. And I think that that third and one from the 39 in the second quarter, that touchdown, we were down 14 to 10. I think that's a perfect example of that.
3: You know, I don't want to. I don't want to totally make this about TJ Yates, but I do want to point out he had, like we said, probably one of the most TJ Yates games you can ever remember. Didn't have the greatest completion rate; he was twenty-three of thirty-nine. Threw for two hundred thirty-four yards, a touchdown, and a pick. Um, the other thing is he managed the game well, and I, I think yeah, I, part of that's him being a senior, but also part of it's him being synced up with all with his offensive coordinator. There was a point in the fourth quarter. Uh, which looked at that point like UNC had, had lost the game. the third and 20 to Dwight Jones, where he literally hits Dwight Jones in the hands uh, as soon as Jones comes out of his at the top of his route. Um, and he's catch he catches it just beyond the sticks. There's a linebacker there and a corner there, and it still hits Jones, high points him right in the numbers, and Dwight Jones drops the ball. But I also want to point out, just to reiterate, That was a very T.J. Yates game. You know, you come down in the 31 seconds, you're down three, and he still has the composure to hit a guy like Todd Harrelson, like Greg mentioned, that had three catches, I guess, for the total for the season. Hits him right over top of the, you know, right over top and underneath the coverage. Gets that play, comes back, still has the presence of mind during the chaos at the end to get the ball snapped. I just, I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention your quarterback there.
4: Well, TJ was never rattled. That's something he never gets credit for. TJ, at no point in the in the four years that he was a starter, maybe as a freshman he'd get it and he had the freshman jitters, but beginning his junior year, TJ didn't really get rattled, not on the field. Um, it, it, fan pressure and some of the stuff that happened off the field – most of it undeserved, um, you know, would affect him on a personal level. Um, and I I was there for some of that. And I think TJ would tell you that, you know, there was some criticism some stuff that happened to him off the field that sort of comes with the territory, but some of it got kind of vicious that stuff, you know, that, that stuff wasn't cool, but anything that happened on the field, there was nothing that TJ couldn't handle. He was not the guy in the huddle who was freaking out. He was not who seemed stressed out. Um, and I think the Music City Bowl was a perfect example of that too, because you know you just you pointed it out. Uh, TJ's completion percentage wasn't great, his yardage wasn't great, but there's a there was a lot left on the table. There's a lot of meat on the bone. Mm-hmm. In most of the games, TJ was was the quarterback. We had the dropsies. You know, we had a concentration issue sometimes with catching the football. TJ very rarely ever made a bad decision. Maybe. In, you know a yard or two in a different direction maybe, you know maybe he leads a receiver a little better maybe maybe puts it at a slightly higher point where only the receiver can catch it but tj threw a very catchable ball and he always knew where to go with the ball so his decision making was never the concern and his composure was never the concern so yeah tj's ultimate numbers you know that's really that's that's the best way to judge a quarterback i guess if you're going to do it objectively but subjectively unless you're in that huddle or really watching the film and sort of understood what you were watching tj always knew what he was doing there was no there was no frazzling of T.J. Yates. So his composure was always excellent. So, Greg,
3: before we get into the melee that was the end of this game, what are you seeing or what are you feeling? Again, I, I, and I don't remember if you, if you mentioned earlier, were you in a press box or were you on the field?
2: Well, I was in the press box for the bulk of the game. Okay. But then with about five minutes left, uh, Buck Sanders and I uh, sauntered down to the sideline. So at the, the end of the game, uh, we watched on the field.
3: Okay, so uh, that'll that'll be a good segue. Uh, did you guys have any sense as it got into the, the 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 fourth quarter, late in the fourth quarter, that it was going to to come down to the wire? Because it it kind of seemed like UNC was just letting their chances slip away and slip away and slip away.
2: Yeah, did fact that that Tennessee. Um, looked pretty good there, uh, you know, uh, third quarter was what it was, but you know, they, they took the lead early in the, in the fourth um, or I guess midway through the fourth, you kind of had the feeling that the home, home field crowd was going to be beneficial to them and that North Carolina just, just had to have uh, a couple good plays put together. Um, and it looked like there at the end that Tennessee was going to be able to maybe run out the clock. Um, And defense steps up and and North Carolina has one more chance. So we never felt, well, I never felt as though this was a game that North Carolina was destined to win. But I did think as, as Mike laid out, TJ Yates was not going to cower in this situation. Um, You know, the year before when he's getting things thrown at him after, after one of the home games, Uh, I talked to him after the game and, you know, just, just as a, as a man I'm a little bit pissed off that, that fans are, are treating the quarterback that way and throwing stuff at him um, I was a little it was Florida fired up. State it was it was a Florida State game yeah, I guess it was a I, Thursday night game right because I,
4: I got hit with it as it bounced off his shoulder pad yeah <laughs> he was getting <laughs> stuff thrown at him as we were walking through the tunnel yeah
2: right so you know I'm a little irritated and I'm not even playing the game and yet I'm talking to TJ and you know, TJ's TJ the calm cool collected. Um, and so if you can keep your poise in that kind of moment, you know, this goes throughout the whole whole season, but you always kind of felt like, you know, he would give you a chance and he, w- he wouldn't, he may not make the big play, but he really wasn't going to hurt you. Um, and so up until the final minute, you know, kind of thought, you know, North Carolina has a chance to got a great field goal kicker, uh, but there wasn't a lot working for the offense late. And so you kind of in that moment of, all right, well, something's got to work for him. They're running out of time.
3: All right, so let's get to the juiciest part of this. And I know, uh, you know, North Carolina fans, especially the ones who were there, probably love hearkening to this story. And I don't want to belabor the point about, well, what if it didn't play out the way it did? You know, how painful would it be? Because, you know, in the, end of the day, North Carolina won the game. But I want to try to set this up for everybody. Um, I'm sitting here looking at the the play by play. So UNC has punts after the uh, fail, failure to convert the third and 20 or whatever it was. UNC uh, has to punt to Tennessee. Tennessee gets it with a minute left. Uh, gets three stops. Carolina burns their last two timeouts. And then UNC punts. UNC, uh, or I'm sorry, Tennessee punts. UNC has a touchback. Gets the ball uh, to start with 31 seconds. And then is when everything goes sideways you know, here. Uh, Katie, bar the door, all of the, all of the old cliches you want to use. That's essentially what, what was getting ready to happen. Um, so, Mike, 31 seconds, you guys have the ball. What are the play calls? I mean, we've talked about how TJ was very calm and very collected. So, you, you, you know, everybody can look to him and feel a sense of composure with him. But help me understand, what is what is the play calling in a situation like that? Does, does Coach Shoop send in four or five calls, and then you, you pick them based on that? Or do you know ahead of time, all right, this is what we're probably going to do uh, just based on repping end-of-game situations?
4: Yeah, so I mean, we rep two-minute drill, and we rep, we rep end-of-game situations every single week. So we had an entire season worth of... I'll call it a toolbox that we knew we were going to draw from. And specifically for that game, based on what Tennessee was doing defensively, we had a plan for that situation. And uh, if I recall correctly, we our two minute drill in practice that week was an under one minute type of two minute drill where we had to go the length of the field. So it was a very, you know, we made it as hard on ourselves as possible in that two minute drill in practice. And so we knew the protections that were coming and it was a lot of um you know we went a lot of empty backfield so a lot of 80s a lot of 80s protection um you know we'd go a lot of 60s protection with you know once in a while some six man you know where the back would release if if his guy dropped into coverage you know we'd get another receiver out uh into a route and and we knew that stuff because it was our we ran that stuff I should say because it was our bread and butter and we were all very comfortable with that we knew, you know offensive line knows all the calls receivers running backs tight ends all know the all know the route combinations that come off of those uh come off of those packages so you know when you get into those situations you revert back to what you know so we had an idea what was coming and and what we were going to run it was nothing nothing was called that no one didn't know how to run i mean every guy you know down to the third string knew exactly how to run what would be called and what may actually be called in that situation
3: Greg, I'm going to guess, and again, I'm going to reset this for our listeners, uh, hoping that you guys get a chance to go back and watch this because it does live on YouTube and we'll link it in the article when it's posted on InsideCarolina.com. But it starts uh, first and 10 from UNC 20. First play, Yates goes to the aforementioned Todd Harrelson for 28 yards, who then gets hit with an absolutely gross uh, launching, targeting, whatever you want to call it, uh, helmet to the just – in between the shoulder blades, which adds another fifteen on the top of it.
4: I'm, I'm sitting here watching it right now, Joey. Gets
3: it gets you and see the Tennessee falls away seven yard line
4: falls away and Todd's dead. There it it's, is, right there.
3: It's brutal, and how Harrelson holds on to the ball, I'll I'll never know. <laughs> Greg, I'm assuming based on where uh, the way the bench is lined up and where that ball was caught, was that right in front of you and Buck?
2: We were a little bit further down uh, to the left. If, if you're looking at the uh, the YouTube replay. Okay. Uh, but yeah, we we saw it and we heard it. More importantly,
0: mm.
3: so is is that one of those situations where you guys are like Harrelson, Harrelson? Oh, oh,
2: Todd Harrelson,
3: because uh, again, he <laughs> he was just a guy that didn't get used a lot that year,
2: right? And, and Todd was a guy that had a lot of potential. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was the kind of guy that you'd hear a lot about in the off season. So you're he was always a kind of from waiting. Tennessee,
3: wasn't he? I feel like he was a recruit from Tennessee.
2: May have been.
4: I'll look that up. I'm sorry. Yeah. Go ahead
2: maybe um,
4: Rashad, Rashad Mason was from Tennessee. He was from, I think he was from Nashville. He
2: was from Nashville. Right. Right.
4: Yeah.
2: Um, but that was a situation, you know, where first of all, you're worried about is the guy going to be able to get up. Right. Um, Cause that was a, you know, a very rough hit, but when you see it, you're like, wait a minute, Does that guy <laughs> really do that. All yeah. of a sudden forget about the clock. Now you're only needing, you know, 15 yards to get a, a comfortable field goal attempt. And so you go from saying, okay, this is going to be a miracle, uh, you maybe they get lucky, to all of a sudden saying, all right, well, they've got a shot now. They just have to make a couple good plays, and and they can at least force this into overtime.
3: So uh, my, my mistake, Todd Harrelson from the 252 Chesapeake, Virginia, That's right. uh, Oscar yeah. Smith High School. Uh, but good call on Rashad Mason because he absolutely was – Uh, was from Tennessee Mike so they have that stupid uh, launching targeting penalty which again that's that's just a mental breakdown it's a guy trying to just go in for a kill shot that he didn't need to make do you guys feel like at that point oh we got him now like from a standpoint of they're rattled or is it still very much like we've got to do this this and this
4: no I mean we never unfortunately in that situation you know you never you never feel like you've got them um, because that's that's a luck thing you know we got lucky that we didn't get lucky that Todd caught the ball. We didn't get lucky that TJ put the ball where it needed to be. We got lucky with an extra 15 yards. So, you know, we never, we didn't, we didn't feel like we had it. But the one thing we did realize was that Tennessee was starting to implode the way that they had imploded earlier in the season on film, late in games and they were making mistakes and they were doing that throughout the game. I will say that that was one of the most uh, talkative games and one of the dirtiest games that I'd played in. Um, I would, I've put, Virginia as the dirtiest team we played year in and year out. And then you got state and Tennessee are, are, are pretty close there. Um, now I got
3: to make you elaborate. If you're talking about some of the chirping that was going on, uh, give, give us some examples.
4: Some of it's not suitable for work, but I mean, it, it was That's it, okay.
3: Share us what is suitable.
4: It's uh well, I mean, a lot of just a lot, a lot of cursing, a lot of, uh, a lot of, a lot of uh, insults, a lot of making fun of people's bodies. Uh, and i was doing i was the one doing most of that and if you go back and you look at me in a uniform i had no business making fun of people's bodies (laughs) but uh but yeah i mean it's just 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 a lot of that you know that 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 tennessee team had a lot of what turned out to be pretty decent nfl talent on it Uh, malik jackson on the defensive line Mm -hmm. specifically turned out to be a pretty good player for a little while and um you know you, you you see guys like that on film and if you're a guy who talks, you start figuring out a way to, to get under their skin. They were doing the exact same thing. But they – I mean, it, Tennessee talked every single play, no matter what they did, no matter how bad they got beat on a play, there was always somebody running their mouth, always somebody talking. That stuff gets frustrated after a while. So I was, I was impressed by our ability to stay composed. Offensively, we didn't have any dumb penalties. We didn't get any un, stupid, unsportsmanlike penalties that I can remember. Um, Tennessee should have had more, but the refs kind of let us go. It was, a, you know, it was kind of a backyard brawl type of game but the you know we never felt comfortable after that 15 yard penalty because that's all luck now the one thing i will say is that the very next play we run 300 protection which is just a quick strike uh, dwight jones runs a slant mm-hmm. and he gets hit real late and it was obvious there was a rough oh, standing right there if they hadn't called the and one on did. Harrelson, they would have had to call that one and, and and i don't know if they you know that that could be a makeup call or whatever that was or a makeup non call because they didn't think maybe Todd actually was targeted, but I don't even, sure. I don't know how you make that argument. Um, but that that should have been another 15 yards. Now when we saw that, we realized that Tennessee was was having to resort to some stuff. Tennessee yeah. didn't think they were going to win that football game. When you see things like that on the field, you smell blood in the water a little bit. Tennessee was having to start doing dumb stuff because they thought that was the only way they were going to get momentum back on their side and get the tone, get the tone back in their favor. It obviously well, didn't work by the end of it.
3: Sure, And at that point, it's like, okay, they are they're in, they're in full goon mode. Greg, are, are you thinking in your head about <laughs> re-
4: mode, yes, yeah, that's exactly what that is. <laughs> uh,
3: Greg, are you thinking in your in your head at that point about having to to rewrite your gamer, or is is it just one of those things where you're just kind of caught up in the moment? Because I mean, you're you're the consummate pro. You mentioned how this this season would have been a one of been in the most one of the most uh, enjoyable ones for you to cover at that point, are you rethinking your game, your, your, your game column? Or is it, or are you just kind of caught up in the moment? Cause you're, this stuff's happening right in front of you guys.
2: Right. So, so the interesting thing is that this was the year uh, that we were not doing deadline gamers. So like now I've got to have a story up, you know, five minutes after the, the end of the right. game <laughs> uh, at that point in time, I didn't have that requirement. So I was able really to kind of, the idea is I could, I could actually soak up what was going on. For example, mm-hmm. earlier in the year, uh, we were underneath the, the Fogo post at, at Florida State. Um, and so to experience that and you kind of feel the emotion of the teams and the crowd. Uh, and so that was very beneficial. And so fortunately, I was not as worried about my gamer because uh, I had a little bit of time to, to wait on that. And I was really just kind of trying to run the numbers in my head and uh, talking about that, that penalty uh, against Harrelson. That moved UNC to the 37, Tennessee's 37. Well, Casey's long that year was 49. So they're only, what, five yards yeah. from local territory. Um, and so that kind of gets you to, to perk up a little bit. And the, the thing um, I mentioned earlier, and Mike's alluded to this with the crowd, early in the day, the crowd was already very vocal, very optimistic, Uh had a few too many drinks probably, <laughs> and it was really after that hit that I, I think you felt some tension. Um, you felt it start to build. The pucker factor showed up. Correct. Know. The that's pucker when, factor. That's when here. things started. To, you, you felt that uh, vibrant energy from the from the Tennessee fan base at that point, time.
4: It's a very diplomatic way of putting that, Greg, because that vibrant <laughs> ener- that vibrant energy turned into batteries in your face. Right. Yeah,
3: batteries in your face. Uh, glass bottles at your helmets. Um.
4: Spitters. My aunt got a spitter dumped on her from about ten rows up. Yeah.
3: Look, you can buy those at some of the uh, souvenir shops in in Tennessee. Depending on which uh, rest stop you're at, but spittoons. Yes. Um, so here we sit. Uh, UNC actually incompletes a pass. They get a Sean drawn rush, was seemed like a basic off tackle call. Uh, it was
4: fourteen inside zone. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I mean, he's, he literally runs right behind you know, Ingersoll's shoulder pad uh, gets another seven yards. And then it gets more gross because as, you know, defensive players are supposed to do in that situation, the dude takes forever and a day to get off of, get off of Sean. And then the drama really starts uh, because the chaos happens. There's no timeouts left for North Carolina. We would find out later that this would actually change the course of football legislation uh, in that rules were implemented in the offseason mm-hmm. to stop this from happening, both, uh, eventually in the NFL, but also in college. Greg, at what point did you notice that, oh, they're, they're not going to get this playoff?
2: Well, you know, it's interesting because when you're watching it, you're thinking, okay, there's 16 seconds left, um, plenty of time oh, yeah. to run, you know, run and run play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with, with Tennessee, and, and Butch talked about this after the game, and Mike mentioned this earlier, uh, Tennessee had been doing a lot of eight-man drops uh, and so, as Butch said, you figure they're going to drop in this situation. If they only rush three, maybe you can still you know, five to ten yards, and yep. make it a lot easier for for Casey. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you see the the tackle, and he's tackled like 13 seconds left. Yeah. And then, as you say, it's just like the slow. I mean, it takes forever for the referees to get over there. Uh, Sean slow getting up. I mean, you're kind of like, come on, guys, you gotta you gotta get this going. And then you start to see some of the field goal team go on the field. And at that point in time, you're like, oh crap, this is going to end up, uh, this is going to turn out very poorly for North Carolina. Uh, And I know we can dive more into it, but TJ Yates uh, really saved the day.
3: So as we would find out, you know, it, it, what happens in real time, uh, TJ runs back out there. He's going to try to clock it. Then, Ah, uh, the coaching staff sends on the field goal unit. Half the offense comes off. Half of the field goal unit is on. There's probably 16 or 17 UNC players on the field at one point in time. Mike, do you remember, or at least how do you remember uh, your movement during that uh, that your know, chaos? And then, what did the video tell you your movement was
4: during that chaos? Well, I mean, I, so that's something else we drill, and we we know that if it's a late game situation, you know, we'll we'll bring we'll bring Casey on for, you know, a last minute field goal. And I can't remember what the, what the code word for it was. If it was
2: lightning field goal,
4: lightning field goal. Yeah. 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 Look Um, at Greg. Yeah. So the brain on (laughs) Brett. Yeah. 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 So yeah. Lightning field goal, lightning field goal was the, yeah, that that was the play. There was a call on the field. And I can't remember if it was kamikaze or what it was, but we were, we made a call on the field. So we all knew offensively that we're probably going to kick a field goal here. There was just confusion in terms of seven personnel out. I remember watching the clock, so I disengage from my block. Sean's still trying to get up. I look up at the clock, and I'm like, and then I and I start hearing, I start yeah. hearing TJ yell, "Field goal, field goal!" And I'm like, "Oh, sh-. oh excuse, excuse the language, but I mean, well, let I just, that out. It's all right." Yeah, yeah. Oh shoot! I take off and I head towards the line of scrimmage, and I'm just grabbing everybody around me, and I'm watching the clock, and we're down to like two seconds, and I throw my hand under. It. I'm like, "Get down, get down, get down!" Um, I'm yelling down the line. Everyone's yelling, "Get down, get down, get down!" We finally snap the ball. TJ spikes it we got one second and I hear the ball hit the ground and we got one second to go so I'm just standing there and I'm I'm like okay fine we're about to kick the field goal we just stopped the clock we're gonna get a five-yard penalty fine whatever um ref waves it off and I'm standing there and I'm 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 waiting for them to correct this error because I'm like I'm watching the the light bulbs in the scoreboard read one so I know that atomic clock we've got Sitting somewhere over here on the sidelines reads one and something. I mean, we've got more than a second here. We did it in time. We're just going to get a five yard dinger because we had too many people on the field. And it took, them a, it took them several minutes to clear that up. Tennessee's players are going nuts. They're throwing helmets. They're celebrating. I'm like, no, 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 this game isn't over. And I'm like, this is not going to end like this. Because I'm watching it, again, very calmly. Like, this is going to get fixed. We're going to kick this field goal. But as more time went on, it felt like it was taking forever. And I'm like, are they really going to screw us out of this? And they finally did the right thing. We, you know, And the rest is, is history. Um, you know, We backed the ball up. Casey kicked the field goal. But we knew the whole time we were kicking that field goal. That run was designed to just put the, put the ball where Casey wanted it. Mm-hmm. All we were doing was trying to position the football, get a few extra cheap yards, just like Greg said. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I remember watching everything happen as it was unfolding. And it seemed surreal that – in that year, and this is the sort of stuff that goes through your head in the moment. It's like seeing your life before you die. Sure. I'm seeing the whole year play through, and I'm like, we went through all of this, and you guys are really going to end this game right now when we shouldn't. We're going to be on Sports Center, and they're going to talk about, oh, Carolina got screwed, and there was a mm-hmm. second left. They should have been able to kick the field goal. What would have happened? And we're going to be sitting there playing this what if game on this bowl game, just like we played the what if on the entire season. This is the stuff going through my head, like as I'm standing there watching Tennessee's guys do backflips on the field and stuff. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And then luckily, rightly, the refs corrected the error, just hit us with the penalty, and we got to kick the field goal.
0: The interception thrown by Tyler Bray, and in comes Casey Barth. He's made a couple already tonight. I always think about that snapper, Mark House, the holder, Trace Jones. It's not just Barth, it's the whole mechanics. From 23 yards out. Home.
3: I love that you were that composed in the moment because uh, and I don't know if it was alcohol induced or not, but I, I was not that composed. I, I uh, wasn't nearly <laughs> as
4: I wasn't I wasn't as drunk as you.
2: OK,
3: well, that's 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 good to hear, Greg. Uh,
4: what what did it feel to
3: you? I mean, w- follow up on Mike or, or take us in a different direction. But your perspective, because that seemed like forever in a day. And again, they actually called the game over on the field. I've never seen anything like that.
2: Right. Well, a couple of things. Number one, I, I, I saw exactly what Mike saw and um, that I thought TJ, I, mean, I thought there's probably more than a second left when he mm-hmm. snapped and, and mm-hmm. spiked the ball. So I thought they were going to have to take a look at it. Uh, Before disclosure, uh, my father is a Tennessee graduate. Um, therefore is a Tennessee football fan. And so I've watched a lot of Tennessee games in my lifetime. And I happened to watch the Tennessee LSU game October Earlier that, that year. In Baton Rouge, yeah. Uh, for those who may not remember, uh, Tennessee, I believe, was up fourteen to ten. Uh, LSU had like third and goal, second and goal on the one, getting ready to score. Twenty seconds left. Bad handoff. The ball goes scooting back. Uh, time runs out. Tennessee wins. Uh, game's called over. Derek Dooley's on the field, motioning the the fan or the, the team to get off the field. LSU's fans are distraught. Tennessee had 12 men on the field. (laughs) So the game goes from being over to being uh, a replay of the down. LSU runs it in for the 17-14 victory. So this is what Tennessee fans are already feeling because they have experienced an opportunity for a huge win at LSU like seven or eight weeks earlier. Mm -hmm. And now this happens. Uh, So that was one of the things that was kind of running through my head. I was like, dang, this is going to be another close ending for Tennessee. Uh, and, you know, didn't expect it in the way that it actually did. But that, that, that was something that was going through my head as I saw the, the game clock tick to zero.
3: And, and again, I, you know, Greg, you've covered sports for a long time. Mike, you took a lot of snaps. I'll go to you first, Greg. You ever seen an ending like that before where, again, where they called the game over on the field? And, you know, I've seen before where teams have prematurely celebrated. I've seen before where, um, you know, referees were just waiting to go kind of go through the formality of checking to make sure that I have never seen uh, a game that was called over on the field. Referee said the game is over, then comes back a few minutes later and says, OK, we're going to look at it. And then comes back what seems like an hour later and says, oh, by the way, we screwed up. Have you ever either one of you ever seen anything like that before?
2: Certainly, I haven't covered a game like that. I've seen some wild endings, uh, but certainly not like that.
4: Mike, yeah, I've never played in anything like that. I mean, I've, I've like Greg said, I've had wild endings. I mean, Florida State that same year was, mm-hmm. you know, wide right. I mean, that that was a that was a, a crucial ending, a critical ending, um, a very exciting ending that I didn't think was going to happen in that game. Just like this was an ending I didn't think was going to happen in this game. At least the end of regulation. I mean, we know what happened in overtime, double overtime. But uh, what was really funny was that none of the fans that left the game were allowed back in. <laughs> after that so the so the stadium was completely full of sixty nine thousand people nice but then at the get when the games oh when the games quote over and people start leaving and then they call the game back the only people that were allowed in the stadium were the ones who were still there and didn't walk out the gate which was like twenty thousand people. Oops, it was like playing in front of a it was like the spring game crowd is what it was like it was like playing in front of a scrimmage
3: i, re- I remember that being slightly different because yeah again uh tennessee fan it, it was already headed to broadway celebrating and I know that when we walked across the bridge, like Greg was talking about earlier, back to, back to bars, the, the morose and somber feeling amongst uh, the orange, the wave of orange was, was something else. So we get through that, uh, the refs actually say, okay, we messed up. There was one second left. They do back UNC up five yards as Mike said, you know, cause there was a rule violation. Uh, Casey Barth kicks, uh, you know, kicks a 40-yarder, just beautiful. Go to overtime, UNC scores, uh, and then uh, – or UNC gets a touchdown. I think Sean Drone was not in the first time. Uh, lost one on a really bad uh, – or not a really bad, but what looked like a vicious uh, – turned his head 180 degrees. Face mask. Uh, yeah, it was not T-J- good. Yeah, TJ Yates gets in. Uh, and So then it's uh, the game's UNC up. Uh, Tennessee then scores, they get a, a touchdown to uh, Luke Stocker, who had gone, didn't you, did you and Luke cross paths in Tampa, Mike? Yeah, we
4: were in Tampa together. Luke's a really good dude.
3: Yeah, so Luke yeah. Stocker gets a touchdown, which is a just a beautifully thrown ball by Tyler Bray, which then in... Uh, it was a better actually, catch. That's true. A um, better
4: catch, one-handed in the back of the end zone. And, and my one, back.
3: Jackson draped all over him, I think. Yeah, um, it, was,
4: it was, you know, Luke was a good player. That was a, that was a great catch.
3: And uh, that induced the... Uh, now infamous Tyler Bray double knife's throat slash, uh, which tied the game. Double overtime. He comes in, uh, throws. I don't know who he was throwing to Mike. What do you think he saw on the play? Because he he throws an interception to quan who Quan had sunk. Uh, I don't. I, I know the receiver fell, but I still am not sure what Bray was seeing when he threw the ball because he hit quan start event right in the hands. And as we heard on a Forty Club podcast with. With a lot of those, a lot of your teammates and Tommy and I, Quan still swears up and down he could have housed that interception. But what do you think Tyler Brace saw when he threw that pick?
4: Uh, I think he, I think Tyler had young kid jitters that that finally bit him. And the thing that the guys had seen on film leading up to that game finally caught up to him. And that was his youth and his exuberance and his gunslinger type mentality, and it ended up biting him. You know, he didn't count on having fourth year senior. You know, at, at the time, top-rated middle linebacker in the draft, Quan Sturdivant, mm-hmm. dropping back into coverage unexpectedly. He he didn't he didn't think he was going to have that. What he saw was the guy who had some depth right behind Quan, and he was just trying to hit him with a shot right there on the sidelines and keep the ball moving. He didn't, he didn't think Quan was going to be dropping back like that. But if you hear Quan describe it, he just like you did, he threw it right to him. Quan to this day doesn't know what that kid was looking at. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I think Bray just had it in his mind. In that situation, as a young player, he had been coached. that He's got max two options, and he just being a young player keyed in to his to his first option. He knew where he was going with that ball from the start, and he was going to get it there no matter what because that's what felt comfortable to him. In that high-pressure situation, he was going to go with what felt comfortable, you know, consequences be damned. So he, he went to his primary option, the one he was most comfortable with, probably the one that he drilled the best in practice and felt the most comfortable with coming out of practice during that week uh, and coming out of the season on that particular play in that particular situation, and he just forced it. And he didn't bank on having – Super savvy Quan Sturdivant sitting right there waiting to pick it off.
2: Yep, and it really looked like, and I felt this at the time, and watching it again, I felt the same thing this time. He didn't give himself any bit of a a moment to to get set when he when he dropped no. back in, in that play action. I mean, he threw mm-hmm. off his back foot, which I'm sure played a role into it. But even still, I mean, if um, I'm not sure exactly who it was behind Quan, but it seemed like if Quan didn't get it, uh, the other person behind him that may have been Eugene the Norse. Robinson was that gene robinson okay
3: yeah. yeah
2: uh may have had an opportunity at it as well so just mm-hmm. just a bad decision as, as mike said
3: yeah and i i that's a great that's a great analogy by both of you guys i think mike's right he locked in on on who was going to go to and greg your point about him rushing it it's it, it was all over but the singing at that point so unc has the ball uh all they got to do is get points on the board uh bring in mr automatic after a you know a run to set things up mr Aut- mr automatic uh Casey Barth comes in, hits the game winner. Greg, what was the first thing you did after the game was over? Who was the first person you talked to, or what was your first reaction uh, as as you were kind of amidst the melee?
2: Wow, that, that's a good question. Um, so it was after the it was after Casey's uh, kick in regulation when the beer bottles and the, the liquor mm-hmm. bottles came mm-hmm. out. Um, mm-hmm. We were down about at the goal line, and I believe it was a Jack Daniels. That would make sense being Tennessee uh, pint bottle landed maybe three or four feet to my left. And I was like, Oh crap. It Um, wasn't me. Yeah. Right. And, uh, so you kind of, you kind of feel that initial surge, right. And then you get into the game and then Carolina wins it. So I think initially we're all just kind of looking around trying to figure out what is going to happen here with the, with the, the crowd. Um, you know, the lasting memory that I will have, and I wish I had a photo of it. I think there's a photo somewhere around, but as uh, Dante Page Moss picking up mm-hmm. a beer bottle and saluting <laughs> the, the crowd. Um, that was right know, in
4: front of us, by the way. Yes.
2: Just fantastic and, you know the social media world that we live in now. That would be uh, that would be something to remember. And but, Dante
4: Page Moss had an incredible game that game too. Blocked
2: the extra point. That's yes. Right.
3: Um, so. Mike, I'm going to come to you, and I want you to give me like uh, I want you to give me the most Al Bundy. Just go full Firestone on me here. When you guys won that game, you realize that you know, your career at North Carolina is over. But the way that it ended, uh, all the action in the last, you know, the the overtime periods happens right in front of that little pocket of UNC fans. I'm mm-hmm. um, assuming you know your family was there. Uh, tell me kind of when, when Casey splits the uprights, uh, the guys on the field went nuts. I can't remember if you were on kick team or not then, but how did, how did that go? Like just talk me through that whole celebration from soup to nuts.
4: Yeah. I was, I was one of the wings on the, I was the field wing on the field goal team, um, which is the position I held for four years with them, um, with under Butch. And when that kick went through, I just turned around and immediately looked for Casey and he just started sprinting. So I took off after them, and and everybody dog piled them and picked them up and put them on it, put them on their shoulders, and it was, it was a, in the moment it was surreal because it it felt like there was like this exasperated relief that after, after everything that had happened that season, everything that happened in that game you know, that you said it early on in, in the podcast here, that game was a microcosm of that season. Everything that went on, all the stuff that went on, the the ups, the downs, the back and forth, the adversity, you know, this, that, and the other, it, it all finally came together. There was finally something positive, really positive to take away from that 2010 season. You know, just like I was sitting there and I saw my, I saw the season flash before my eyes and I had, you know, this this feeling of desperation when they called the game originally, I had the exact same experience twenty minutes later at the end of double overtime when Casey kicked that kick with an entirely different feeling, punctuated at the end of it. And we picked Casey up, and I remember grabbing him and hugging him and just telling him thank you. And 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 Casey knew. I mean, nobody was more excited for the seniors and the upperclassmen on that team than Casey. Another guy doesn't get his due. Casey was. The consummate teammate and his brother Connor before him. Those guys were wonderful teammates are wonderful people and they were completely automatic. We knew that if Casey had a chance to win that football game, that if we put it in his hands, he would pull it off. Um, I, I I think there was one time Casey let us down in all in in, in the two years he was my kicker, his brother before him, there was one time a Barth let us down. It was NC State 2009, and he shouldn't have ever been in the situation he was in in the first place because that should have been a three touchdown win no matter what. So don't even blame Casey for that. We knew Casey was absolutely automatic. And if we're, he's Casey Barth and Connor Barth are, are the only kickers I've ever played with <laughs> where you feel comfortable putting the game in their hands. You, you always say, don't leave the game up to a kicker. That's, that's, parlance amongst offenses in football. Don't ever leave a game to a kicker. Don't leave it in the ref's hands. Don't leave it in a kicker's hands. But Casey and Connor were different. I was more than happy to leave it in their feet because if they, we did, you know, chances are, we're going to have a pretty positive result. And I I remember just holding Casey up and thanking him and hugging him. And uh, you know, then we made our way to the stage and the whole thing just felt like, again, this exasperated relief, like, thank God, this is how it ended because I couldn't take any more disappointment after the 12 (laughs) months leading up
3: to that, man, if you, it's funny, you know, if you go back and look at the, at the box score of this game, uh, and I want to come to Greg for some, some post-game insight. Uh, If you go back and look at the box score of this game, it's full of a lot of names uh, of kind of unsung heroes for UNC. And when you think about kind of where the program was, the number of guys that lost games due to injury or uh, suspension or being withheld by the school for the NCAA investigation. But some of the names in there, like Ryan Taylor comes in. That was the first name I was going to say. RT gets 85 yards on nine catches. And this is a guy stepping in for Zach Pinalto. Uh, and Ryan Taylor had primarily been a special teams guy up until then, but Todd Harrelson getting that big catch that he had. And, you know, literally almost having the, the breath snatched from his, his chest cavity, um Christian Wilson had two catches in that game. Uh just, Mike
4: Ingersoll split out as a wide receiver
3: in that game. Oh, sorry. That never happened. Nobody believes that. That's 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 just that's just rumor and, and innuendo.
4: Yeah. Um Ed Barham Ed Barham lost his sturdum on the exact same play.
3: <laughs> but that's uh <laughs> the funny thing is there was a lot of guys in on that roster that you know kind of stepped up and, and did very much the old cliche next man up. Greg, I want to hear Talk to me a little bit about covering that post-game locker room, because if this season was one of your most enjoyable seasons to cover, that post-game locker room had to be one of the most fun post-games uh, you, were ever, you ever walked a mic into.
2: Oh, for sure. It was pure elation. And that, that's the fun thing is that uh, the guys are just grinning from ear to ear. As Mike said, I think they realize that uh, what could have been a very bad ending to a tough year uh, didn't end that way. Um, and the fact that it ended the way that it did, um, I don't know if fitting is the right word, but you know, it kind of felt that way. Like this, this season needed some kind of oddball mm-hmm. ending. Um, and so for those guys to get that, uh, it was fantastic. So yeah, it was just pure relation, uh from all of them. And you, know, we're not used to getting TJ Yates grinning from ear to ear in postgame. And uh, that's what we got. So that was funny. Um, but in the, in the Butch Davis press conference, uh, what was interesting is that there were some Tennessee media there, uh, and they were not happy with how the uh, ending of that game. Came out. Uh, for for fans of triangle, I shouldn't media, laugh, Greg, but
3: I'm laughing. I'm sorry, that's funny.
2: Fans of Triangle Media, uh, we tend to be very diplomatic uh, and try to try to play as unbiased as humanly possible, which sometimes is tough to do. SEC media uh, does not adhere to those policies. And they are very much uh, in favor of supporting their teams vocally. Uh, And the funny thing was, is that a guy sitting beside me front row, I think everybody will recognize the name, was a a man. And I'm not sure if he had moved on from the Tennessee beat at this point in time. uh, And he had covered in the SEC as a whole. uh, But it was Clay Travis, who was a big Tennessee guy. Um, That's Ingersoll Clay,
3: yes, Clay Travis, hundred
2: million dollar man. Now he guy. is right. Yeah. Yeah. Dang. He was not happy with how that game played out. And so he asked repeatedly to Butch Davis, if Butch thought it was fair, um, and if the <laughs> 10 second rule needed to be, uh, changed and if Tennessee should have won that game, uh, and Butch finally, uh, after being very, uh, nice, eventually said, look, that's an NFL rule. We're playing college. It is not a college rule. So we won the game with the the rules being appropriately applied. Um, And I always remember after that press conference saying, man, that guy was fired up. And here we are 10, 11 years later. And he's still fired up. Right.
4: (laughs) Got everything under the damn
3: sun. Oh, it's uh, and I'm sure at some some point in time, he probably wanted that rule named the Clay Travis rule just because. (laughs) I
4: I think he wants most things named after him. (laughs)
3: All right, guys. Let's let's put a bow on this because this is one of those games where, yeah, especially you guys being where you were uh, for for those moments. I, I think we could probably we could probably crush a, a nice nice few uh, adult beverages and continue talking about it. But for the sake of our listeners and for the sake of time, let's let's put a bow on this. I want to come to each of you for your final thoughts uh, and kind of you know parting shots, if you will, Greg. What's your, uh, I guess, your, your final word on the 2010 Music City Bowl between Carolina and Tennessee?
2: Well, selfishly, as a, as a reporter and a media member, um, the thing that we never want is a blowout or a boring game uh, just because it's hard to write about that kind of stuff. Uh, this game gave us content for weeks, which is great. <laughs> um, and, and just the ability to kind of experience it uh, on the field the way that it ended and to really kind of understand what was happening with the crowd, how the players were reacting, uh, to watch you know chaos on the field. And, and there's T.J. Yates. And, and, I mean, let's be fair, a lot, a lot of the offensive guys, uh, I'm sure Mike included, knew what they were supposed to be doing. It was the guys yeah. coming off the sideline, the field goal team where things kind of got mixed up. Um, but the, the, the headiness to be able to, to snap the ball and make sure everybody was set, at least you know the offensive guys, um, all that was very fun and unique to watch. And then you never like to see, you know, fans throwing things onto the, the field, but it adds flavor to it for sure. And as I mentioned the Dante Page Moss, uh, beer, uh, what do you call that? The uh, salute, I guess. Beer salute. Yeah. Right. Uh, I mean, that forever is ingrained in my mind. Uh, so it's as, as a football fan, it was a joy to watch how it played out. And as a reporter, it's one that I'll, I'll never forget um, it's up there as one of the, the best games that I've ever covered just because how it, how it played out.
3: I wish there was a photo somewhere of that trophy pinger. we're going to have to hit up Hawk and see if, he's, see if he's got one of those. All right, Mike, I'm going to leave the last word for you because you were, you know, this is the, the cap on your Carolina career and, and you know, this is the last, last snaps you played in a Tar Heel uniform. So share with us your lasting uh, images or just the, if you can put into words kind of what your final thoughts about about this game
4: were. Well, it was poetic for the team and for that season, and it was poetic for me personally. So that season was—we've talked about it at nauseum here for a decade, and what feels like for a decade on this podcast so far tonight. Um, it, it was up and down. It was back and forth. It was a, a lot of uncertainty. We didn't know where we were going. You know which way was up. You know most of that year, and that game again was a microcosm of that entire season. And all those emotions and all that uncertainty and all the back and forth, you know, existed in that game too, in the small bubble of that one football game. And it, it ended in a way that I thought did that season justice. And for the guys that stayed and for the guys who were, you know, who were able to suit up and take the field, it was the just ending for that year for, for my teammates and for the senior class, for that coaching staff who the head of which would not be there the following year, which no one was anticipating at the time, you know, that year was followed by an interim head coach who again, with a, with a boatload of talent did as good a job as an interim head coach can do under the circumstances he was dealt. And that, that coaching staff, you know, the staff of assistants and coordinators under Butch, the staff that Butch assembled needs to be given a lot of credit, not just for the way that game was handled and the way that season was handled, but for the way the next season was handled that was clearly the right staff to be in place uh, for that team and for that program at the time because they were able to lead them next year under equally if not more difficult circumstances. It was poetic for me personally because I grew up a Carolina fan. Carolina was the one offer that I wanted, and I had about 20 scholarship offers come out of high school. Carolina was one of the last ones to offer me, and I held off on committing – for an entire football season my senior year, waiting for Hal Hunter and Dave Brock and John Bunning to offer me a scholarship because I knew in my heart that though I loved Warren Beelan and though I loved the coaching staff at Vanderbilt and they had recruited me the hardest and though I liked you know, some of the coaches that were out at, at Virginia and some of the coaches that were at some of these other schools, my heart was in Chapel Hill ever since I came to camp there. Uh, when I came to camp the summer going into my senior year of high school, when I went to that camp, Carolina, that was the first time I'd been on Chapel Hill's campus in an athletic capacity. And it was at that point that the dream kind of set in that, you know, I always wanted to go to Carolina and be a student. And I always dreamed of, man, it would be really cool if I could play sports there. Growing up, I thought, you know, it'd be cool if I could be a Carolina basketball player. But this was that was the first time going into my senior year of high school that the dream really felt like it could materialize. And from that point forward, I wanted to come to Carolina. So when Carolina offered me, it was my dream to come to UNC. And I took that offer and I came to Chapel Hill and I wanted to build something with what was at that point, not a great team and the program that wasn't in great shape. And my class, I think had an integral role in building that program to a stable, stable ish place. Obviously that last year, things were relatively unstable. Um, But I think the talent that was there and the culture that we had built allowed us to have a year that ended with some success. So it was very poetic for me the last game in a Carolina uniform to end it with a win to end it dramatically and to end it with a season that I thought we could all be proud of which is all I ever wanted to do for that school was to come in be a student and I couldn't ask for more than to leave that school with something that I hope the fans the athletics department and our fellow students could be proud of and um, in that in that regard it was it was very poetic for me and it's you know it, it's pretty cool to be part of one of the games that people still talk about to this day, you know, amongst us, obviously, but you know, even nationally you hear about the 2010 music city bowl comes up every once in a while when people are recapping certain seasons, I'm sure Clay Travis has talked about it in the last (laughs) 10 years. I'll go scour out, kick and see if I can find some mention of it, but, um, it's cool to be a part of that and to represent the university that way, you know, the school that I grew up loving, that was always a dream to, to play sports for. I got, I got to live that. It was, it was pretty remarkable for me personally.
2: Clay well, dubbed it the Music City Music. Uh, it was a Music City Miracle Part Two, is what he uh, has described it as.
3: Yeah, uh, I would much rather close this on Mike's poetic note because I think that feels much better than regurgitating some of Clay Travis's verbal diarrhea. But hey, look, I, I think that's a that's a phenomenal way to to wrap this this show, and I do think it was one of the most memorable uh, most memorable games of, of Carolina football, at least in modern history. Uh, I really, you know, that's probably one of the more fun away game trips that I've ever been a part of. And, uh, yeah, I just appreciate you guys coming on to talk about it. And so we will make sure that all of our listeners who are listening and watching this right now, you'll get a chance to see the link to the game that we used during this rewatch. Uh, so you can go back and check it out. And hopefully some of the stuff that Greg and Mike brought up today will be very, uh, I don't know, we'll stir some things among, uh, among you and, and, and in your heart and feelings and mind and all that nostalgic mumbo jumbo. But we appreciate you guys listening. Right now, we're going to go talk to the guy who was the offensive MVP of that game, Mr. Sean Drone. Uh, Tarboro's finest is going to come on and talk to us a little bit about, about his experience and kind of a game that was absolutely a breakout for him and meant a lot for his pro career. Uh, but we'll talk to Sean in just a few minutes. Hope you guys will stick around and listen to that. But we appreciate you joining us here on the first episode of Season 2 of The Throwback on InsideCarolina.com. For Mike Angersoff, Greg Barnes, I'm Joey Powell. Stick around. I'll talk with Sean Drone next.
0: Butch Davis' North Carolina Tar Heels notch their eighth win of the year in a tumultuous, turbulent season. And the freshman quarterback, Tyler Bray, feeling agony. And despair on the other end of the spectrum. Does, does anybody think now there's too many bowl games? This was a seven and five team against the six and sixteen. Team. No teams could have fought any harder than these two teams fought. Our final score: North Carolina defeating Tennessee, 30 to 27, and a thrilling game here in Nashville. Right now, we send you to Noka. Dari. To the boundary, drone. Found the scene. Sean Drone. Gone. Touchdown, Carolina. 58 yards for the score. How many times we talk about the next guy in? We just mentioned a minute ago, Sean Drone. Watch the big guard pull around 64 right there. Jonathan Cooper gets the block, makes a great move in the open field on Jansen Jackson, the safety. But next guy in. And that's been the story of this Carolina football team. Sean Drone is a senior, gets his chance to be the go-to guy, has taken early opportunity and made the best of it.
3: What's good, everybody? Appreciate you joining us here on the Throwback Season two, episode one, talking about the 2010 Music City Bowl. And the guy that I've got on right now was the lifeblood of the UNC offense in that game. I mean, he had uh, he had just an insane amount of touches, he had 26 touches in one game. And for a guy that had uh, that had been split carries that year between Johnny White and Tony Elsley and, and some other, Tony Elsie and some other guys. Uh, Tarboro's own Tarboro stand up. Sean Drone. How you doing, buddy? Good, brother. How about you? Uh, man, I can't complain. Appreciate you making time for us today. And this game was a fun rewatch. And, and I'm sure yeah. that you've probably you know, lived it many times in your head because it was such a – just a statement game for you. And I'm not just talking about stats. I mean, just the way you yeah. ran. It was a very just determined uh, – one of the guys in the NFL network likes to call them angry runs. There was a lot of angry runs by you in this game. And I want to kind of start from – uh, from a, a little before this actual game. I mean, you and your teammates had gone through just one dogged season with everything that happened in 2010. Mm-hmm. And, and what do you remember about, you know, when you guys found out, all right, you're going to have this chance in Nashville to play against an SEC squad.
1: Uh, kind of what was the feeling in the locker room? Uh, I mean, it was it was a relief for one. I think, you know, the guys definitely – wanted to to have a bowl game and, you know, early on in the season, it looked like we were going to have even have a season. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're missing all the guys, but, you know, it was a big relief. And then, you know, to compete in a, you know, a different league against a, another opponent that I feel like we, you know, kind of, I can say notched, but, you know, it was, it, it was a good challenge for us. And uh, I think we were all excited. Yeah. And I think
3: a, a lot of fans at that time, remember seeing Tennessee on the bill and, they weren't that far removed from being a you know a national contender. Granted, right. they were going through some coaching turnover and all that at the time, but they still had a lot of stroke with their name. Um, mm-hmm. What do you remember about when you guys actually got into bowl prep? You know, what was morale like was Were there guys that were kind of just cashed from from playing such a, a tough season that had so much surrounding it? Uh, we're guys just excited to play. You know, I know some guys were injured, and there's a lot of a lot of guys will go ahead and have their season, you know, their postseason surgeries and stuff done like that. What right. was just the morale around game prep and and when you guys had your 15 or so practices to get ready for Nashville?
1: I, I think it was, for what I remember, man, it was it was good going in. I mean, we had a like you said, we had a lot of guys with injuries. You had guys um, that were on the bubble. Uh, to actually even play because of academics yeah if uh, they, they were eligible and some i can't remember how many guys but there were some people who were academically ineligible to play that game i believe and um you know of course he had the injuries but going in man I, I, that that 06 class man we were just so so tight you know we came in we we of the classes to uh, they call it change carolina's uh, history because um, we were you know a, a good class and we were just so you know excited and kind of sad at the same time because you know that was that was uh four years, four, or five, four and a half years of us you know just being together from from the jump. and a lot of guys were actually still there, which is you know kind of um, not not done a lot in in uh, college or anywhere for that matter. Uh, to last that many years and have those guys and not just be on the team, but be key contributors. And, you know, that was a that was a big thing for us. And uh, we were just excited to go out and play, man. And, you know, it was a it was a long season, like we said. And, you know, Coach Davis had us had us all hyped up and ready to go. I mean, and, and definitely prepared.
3: It's, uh, it's, it's neat to look back at, too, because a lot of you guys in that class were, were in-state kids who had, you know, had played high school yeah. in-state. You guys had played Shrine Bowl and All-Star Games together. You'd camped together. And then all right. of a sudden, you know, this is the end of your run in Chapel mm-hmm. Hill. And through all right. the adversity and turmoil you guys had dealt with, um, mm-hmm. it, it's neat to kind of see this and, and hear you kind of speaking at it from the old wise mans uh, <laughs> looking back at it. And that was the kind of the end of your, your time in a Carolina uniform. Mm-hmm. Uh don't want to get too into detail because it, it might be, it might be hard to dig up. Do you remember any wrinkles from the game plan that coach shoot put in for you? Uh, and, you know, again, I, knowing that that you had a lot of reps for your last three years, but mm-hmm. uh, again, you guys have been splitting time and you know, you know, how coaches are, they always want to get creative for bowl games. Do you remember any of those yeah. wrinkles that coach shoot might've put in?
1: Man, not, not necessarily for me other than, I think I had a play where I motioned out of the backfield at uh, at receiver, and it was just a you know just come and go route right just to try to uh, create a mismatch with their linebackers, um, which I think we probably could have done a lot more of uh, just looking back at it. But um, you know, just I think that was really was the only wrinkle, man. We had I know the short yardage one. We actually practiced that for the first time. Uh, during that prep it was uh, I was at fullback and I was in a three-point stance mm-hmm. <laughs> on the short yards. and I think we actually converted that play as well um, and then we had a play off of that I think where it was like you know he was faking and then um, it was a little pop pass or something like that but um, other than that man we shoot, we ground and pound man, we running the ball, running the stretch running the sweep um, we had a few gun runs Um <laughs> But for the most part, man, I think it was pretty much what we did all year. Uh, like I said, it was that little little wrinkle where I uh, motioned out. And then I think it was at one point we did the motion out and then we motioned back in. But that was just to get a read to see if it was man or zone. Um, but other than that, I don't really I don't recall. You, There, there might be a better question for TJ.
3: Yeah, um, I'm sure he's. <laughs> Uh, haven't talked to him in the past. His memory is absolutely insane on the the little, the little <laughs> the details. Yeah, the plays uh, off the plays that he remembers exactly. Let me ask you this: so this was one where you know, again, you guys had been a very complimentary backfield throughout the season. You know, you and Tony and and Johnny were were pretty good about splitting reps with each other. Mm-hmm. Neither one of those guys were available for this game. It was strictly, basically, just going to be you and Curtis Bird. In the backfield for most of the game. So, what was yeah. what was your mindset when it came time to kick the game off? I mean, did you feel like, all right, this is my time, or did, did you feel like, you know, it's uh, were you worried about being fresh in the fourth? What's kind of going through your head as as the the marquee guy for this game, your last one in Chapel Hill?
1: Yeah, I think it was kind of, I don't know, poetic justice, maybe. I don't know, but <laughs> we'll it's allow just it. the way that the whole way that year went, man. I mean, it was. It was unsettling for me personally. Uh, to be be honest with you, um, you know, I, I, I are these text messages ringing? I'm sorry. Like, no, I don't hear. Can You hear that? No, you're good. My my family is going crazy right now. I'm trying to style <laughs> them, but I don't know how to do it from my iPad. I'm on my iPad. We don't. But, hear. Um, you're good. Good. Um, you no, know, no, I like I said, it was a little unsettling that year, but you know, and, and not to. Um, you know, belittle any decision that the coaches made. But, you know, there were some things that, you know, me personally I didn't didn't agree with. But, you know, this that that game kind of like it, like you said, it was a statement game for me because I was able to, you know, solidify what I did previous in the previous years when I was actually the starter. Um, because I didn't get to start, you know, that year, I don't think, many times. I and then I was injured. Um, some of the year and then you know when I came back from the NCAA stuff um it's kind of like you know I didn't I didn't have a position um you know I was more of a backup at that point and you know to go into the game you know knowing that I was gonna tote the load I mean I was uh, my hair was on fire <laughs> be real with you I was uh it was a, a point where I you know I had to make sure I proved myself to you know I don't know. It's a little my, 5 myself in the draft because I was undrafted, but you know, to let you know, coaches on the next level know I could do it, and you know, to you know, my teammates knew what I could do, my coaches knew what I could do, so it was just a point of where I shoot. I was trying to go out with a bang. You're kind of headed this way. How much do you think this game played into your
3: uh, you know getting signed as as a you know UDFA and and getting looks from from pro teams? Because I mean, you ended up having a fairly long NFL career. How much do you think this game played into that?
1: I think it played. I mean, you never know, like what decisions you know they um, they made and why they made them. But I think this game did, you know, kind of help my my um, my stock, you know. And you know, saying I was catching out of the backfield, I was blocking, pass blocking, short runs, breaking tackles, made a long run. So you know, kind of did it did it all, all this game. So it kind of you know, in a, in a nutshell, put together, you know. A, a, Biography of of what I could do, um in the in the league. I mean, there was definitely you had
3: a pretty good, you know, if you just want to look at cut ups, you had a pretty good audition to show just from this game. And and I yeah. think if you go back and look at you know twenty three carries, uh, three catches out of the backfield, um, like you said, they were moving you around all over the field, both pre snap and post snap. Um, you housed one. You got your mm-hmm. you got your touch. Mm-hmm. In the first five minutes of the game from fifty eight yards out. Take us back yeah. to that play. Do you how much how much do you remember about it? Do you remember the name of the play? Do you remember what it was called? Do you remember do you remember juking that safety out of his out of his shorts with just a little <laughs> left footed plant? I mean, t- take us back yeah. to that
1: play. Yeah. So it was, what was it? The, the five play. The I don't
0: know fourth or fifth play of the game or something. It was like quick.
3: That. It, it was very quick. I mean, that, uh, they'd had their chance, and then you know UNC had UNC had the ball, and again, fifty eight plays. It couldn't have been. It could have been that far into a drive. Right. And 58 yeah,
1: yards, so, excuse me. Yeah. So, we had, I, we didn't run the same place to the other side, but we ran like a stretch to the other side. And, uh, and then he dialed it up, and he said, we're going to try to get on the outside. So, we put a fullback. I think Christian Wilson was actually the, playing fullback at that time. He's and, one uh, He had the block that broke you. Yeah. So, he uh, – I, I was just following him, really. He kicked the guy out, and I, you know, set it up. Now, I saw daylight, number daylight. I was like, okay, I'm riding. Then I see the guy, the safety coming down. He was moving, too. Like, I I knew he was going to open pursuit. And, you know, he started to slow down. But, you know, I I was either going to try to run past him (laughs) or try to cut back. But, you know, I don't know. I was just feeling that that the juice was on me at at that point. So, you know, I I was going to act like I was going to keep running. So, I I did like, you know, like a stutter step like I was going to, Try to outrun him, but then I cut it back, and uh, and then I think Air Barham, you know, getting another good block um, right off of that that cut, and you know, from there I started looking at at the jumbotron, and I was gone. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> funny
3: because I remember seeing the replay, um, being at that game. That was one of the first stadiums that I remember too, since it was a pro stadium that had the full end zone width, jumbotron, jumbotron. there, and I remember seeing yeah. the replay of watching you look up at yourself. Yeah, um, yeah, I did. But, but yeah, man, that uh, that little left leg plant you put at about the twenty or twenty five to get that safety. I mean, his hips were broken at that point. It was yeah, just
1: the, yeah. Felt I mean, felt stuff like that, like that's the type of stuff that I think you know, kind of helped me. You know, when you mentioned that, that's the type of stuff you know is looking for can they make them miss in the open field can you you know get yards out the contact so I think that was um, you know no one of those plays that kind of put together a lot of things in one play um, but yeah you know we got to the end zone and I was it was loud in there it was I mean it was it, you know we had a little patch of blue you were right in front <laughs> of us yeah right yeah so you know I was looking at my parents out there and, you know I was just I was loud, it was it was a good moment, man. It was, it was fun. Definitely got
3: you and the team off to a great start. As I mentioned earlier, you know, 23 totes for 160 yards is, mm-hmm. and I think you had been averaging somewhere in the fifties per game. That So, I mean, to say this was a breakout yeah. at the last game yep. of the season would have been the, would have been kind of an understatement. All right. So you get this big touchdown, you break the seal on the game, you're coming back to the mm-hmm. sidelines, what do you remember about the celebration? What do you? Is there anybody that you remember that came up and said something to you, or do you remember one of the coaches saying something specific that just stuck with you?
1: So, like, even like during the run, I kind of I remember like when I broke the safety off, mm-hmm. they were kind of like looking like what I was gonna do, you know, to the safety. And then on the sidelines, I remember this baby, Like, uh, I think I think it was Brian Overton. He was a GA at the time. He, I think he's actually coaching with Bush Davis now. Mm-hmm. Fiu, he was at uh, ECU for a while, but he was on the sideline. Everybody's pointing like he's out, <laughs> <laughs> he's up. And then see everybody's just going, going crazy. And then I come back to the sideline, and of course, uh, Ryan was there. Ryan Houston uh-huh. and Johnny White. You know, they were like one of the first ones to to come and uh, you know, pat me on the head. And you know, it was hype. You know, I just it, it was one of those things like when you got to the sideline, it's kind of like okay. We, we settled – not settled in, but, like, okay, we we know what we can do. Yeah. So, let's keep the momentum going. And then the defense was playing, you know, lights out. Um, and, you know, just the sideline, the morale was there. Like, it was, it was like, okay, we can compete with these guys, and, and, which I feel like we knew we could anyway. But, you know,
3: that just – I think it's on for the game. Yeah, and, and getting that first score, I think, was obviously huge for for UNC and for you guys because it ended up being a real just a slugfest. A lot of the stats were almost split down the middle. The time of possession, yes, yeah. the time possession. I think it was like twenty five seconds difference. I mean, it was it was really um, it was one absolutely. And so it was. I think it was good for you to be able to set the tone that way, knowing that it was going to go back and forth. All right. I'm going to skip the the bloodbath in the middle of the game unless there's a specific play that you remember because I think we've got a lot to talk about with regard yeah. to the last last few All right. minutes. All right. Um, I want you to talk me through the ending. You guys get the ball down three, 31 mm-hmm. seconds left. Uh, you get a final carry in regulation. Yeah. And like, you know, like de- de- your defensive players are supposed to do, he's taking his time getting off of you. Yeah. And then things went nuts from there. And, and yeah to put this into context for our listeners and viewers who might not be used to this, the ending of this game literally changed the rules for college and pro football with regards to, you know, now there's a runoff or, mm-hmm. um, you know, if, if it's a penalty on the offense in the last minute. So this was kind of the the last of its time, but as much chaos has happened, I want to hear that from Sean's perspective, you know, <laughs> knowing let, that play call comes in, you get your carry, you get off tackle, get six or seven yards. I can't remember, but somewhere around there. And then, oh, boy, it's just kind of laying on you. Tell me mm-hmm. what happens from there.
1: Yeah. So, like you said, I get the run. I was actually trying to score. Like, I wasn't – I didn't want the <laughs> field goal team to come up. To but it, when I saw that, I wasn't – you know, I didn't want to fight for any extra yards and waste any time. So, I got – you know, went down. And it, it, it was already heated. I, I – somebody was doing the same thing this big D lineman I got into it with, well, you know early in the game for them doing that and you know I didn't want to get a penalty so it was a lot of things going through your head like don't you know don't react you know I'm known for being a high head but don't react just you know I'm looking to see if they're if we're going to run another play or you know what was the um field goal team running on so I'm like if, if you look back at the film, <laughs> kind of like looking at the sideline and looking at the field, and then I see everybody running on, like switching off. So I was like, okay, we got to go. So I run back, run to the sideline, and I'm looking up at the clock. And then all of a sudden I see TJ jet, kind of jet back on, and it's like he don't know what to do. And then he finally got it, then spiked it. And I'm like, and, you know, your naked eye, you couldn't really see the clock and him spiking the ball, whether it yeah. was, you know, time left on the clock or not. And um and then they like call it. And I'm like, bro, ain't no way, no way. So you know they running all on the field, and you know it was we were still looking around and like disbelief, you know, of what what happened. But um you know from from that perspective, you know that's kind of what I remember. Um you know like I said, it's been it's been a while, but that's that's. What I remember from that from that moment, um, but it, you know when it happened, and you know they said the game, we started shaking hands, and yeah. you know I don't think I was shaking my hand, but I saw Coach headed. it. <laughs> Did around. you feel like it was over? I didn't, cause I I was trying to wait for like the confusion to die down, because I was like, there's no way like it's gonna it can end like that, you yeah. know, in my head, like can't end like that, like I feel like. I knew he spiked the ball, so I didn't know whether it was still time left or not. Um, so I was still kind of just walking around, waiting for the stuff to, for the ref to say something. You know what I mean? Like whether yeah. the game was, like over, over, or whether it was time left. So I think you know I was still kind of waiting for that, and it took a while for the refs to even mm-hmm. you know intervene and say something. So, you know, and then once they, I guess, got together and. and <laughs> Then what they were going to say, you know, they said it was still time left. I think – didn't it take a while for them to – It
3: took a minute. Rebuke? Yeah, it was – even yeah. even watching it back, like, it was – it was uncomfortable yeah. how long it took them to make a decision about whether they were yeah. going to extend the game or not.
1: Because Coach Davis had already, you know, went over, like I said, shook the, oh, yeah. the, the hand and, you know, some guys were headed to the locker room and those guys were still on the field. And, uh, yeah, that's what I remember. I knew – I was like – it can't can't be over, you know. So you know, it's still that little, you know, piece of piece of doubt or you know, piece of hope uh, that it was it wasn't over. Ever seen anything else like that in your career? Nah, nah, never. Shoot, never. Even in league, never seen or been in a situation like that. Except yeah, for that it's time.
3: It's uh, it's it's definitely probably a once in a lifetime thing. And then of course, you know, gets to overtime. Uh, I, you had another crack at one. They face masked yeah. you into a Oh
1: man. I was I was so hot about that. And then I was, if you see me, I'm like, oh he, yeah. It's a face mask. And then I think somebody ran over. It was uh, Jonathan Cooper. He was like, he caught it. He caught it. You okay? You okay?
3: <laughs> your offensive lineman trying to save you from losing it your mind. Always, I love it.
1: it was either Jonathan Cooper and when Cal Jolly was playing, he used yeah. to always have me <laughs> off and uh Mike saw. They used to always have a battle. and uh, Gary, Gary Reynolds.
3: That's uh, yeah. It was that was not a hard call for them to make. And then, yeah, you know, then of course, game goes on. I feel like you got a touchdown. They didn't review it. Um, yeah, one. Goes into the second overtime. Quan gets his pick, and mm-hmm. then, you know they had you run it just to the right side. Send in Casey Barth to get the kick to to win yeah. the game for the Tar Heels. That's it. So what? I'm mm-hmm. uh, what kind of put a bow on that and I want to hear what do you remember most like looking back at this or just talking about it you know between us what what has this brought back or is there anything that that has been kind of the lasting memory and it could be something of, of you you mentioned your parents at the game I mean, it could be mentioned you mm-hmm. talking to your family or it could have been something that you guys you shared with some teammates in the locker room what's the lasting memory from this game for Sean
1: uh for me personally it was you know that I got the MVP of the game and you know I was on stage you know we never, it wasn't a national championship or anything but you know it was a big moment for us like it was a big moment for Carolina football um you know we're up on the stage host, hosting the, the trophy and you know just after a year of adversity and then the game itself was just uh you know in a nutshell what that year was like like you know we we had the potential, like during the game, we had the potential to win, you know, kind of run away with, but some things went, went left. Then we had to jump back and, you know, kind of um, leapfrog those um, uh, bad things in the game. And, you know, at the end, again, there was something more at (laughs) first. And, you know, we had to overcome that. So it was just, you know, just that year in general was, uh, you know, that game in a nutshell was kind of what our year was. And then, you know, like I said, And, you know, we were on the stage and, you know, excited and confetti falling. (laughs) And we hoisting up the trophy. And then um, I think I think he gave me the mic or he asked me a question. (laughs) I told my mom I I loved her on stage (laughs) on the big mic. (laughs) That's (laughs) awesome. Yeah. So it was uh, it was a good, good moment, man. And that, you know, that game, like I said, that was it. My career and our, you know, our class, I think, has, you know, that game kind of defined that. Like, it was, I wouldn't want it to go any other way. Like, that was the perfect, perfect game. Like, you know, it was just, it was a good memory, man. I I actually still look at, that's probably one of my favorite, favorite games to, you know, go back and look at and just, you know, reminisce that moment, you know, not even knowing the fact that, because I look at defense, too, and like you said, that, that pick Quan had at the end, like that was crazy. And then with Deontay getting hurt, man, it was just – it was, a, you know, it was a lot of good and bad in that in that game, you know, for, for guys.
3: You know, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said that, you know, this game kind of put – you guys' career, but more importantly, that whole season into a nice little nutshell. Like it, it mm-hmm. put everything into a pack. You had adversity. You had guys getting hurt, like the gruesome injury that Deontay went to, went through. Yeah. You had the defense balling out. Uh, and by the way, Quan's Quan's still mad that he had to take a knee. Like he, he still wished he <laughs> could have. He still swears up and down he could have housed that pig. But <laughs> right,
1: he's way back.
3: It's, um, but I think, I think you're spot on, man. And I think that's a, that's a great way to end our discussion here today, but uh, I think you, you nailed it knocked it out of the park as always. And, uh, heck your performance today was just about as good as your performance that night in, uh, in Nashville. So Sean, appreciate we it, appreciate man. it, man. Glad to hear things are going so well for you. Uh, definitely, you know, very impressed and, uh, tipping my cap to you for your, your golf game getting as good as it is, but, hey, uh, um, appreciate it's you there. making time it's- for us on, uh, inside Carolina and joining us here on this episode of The Throwback. But for Sean Drone, we'll talk to you down the road, buddy.
1: No problem, man. Appreciate it. All right. We'll see you. All right. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.